0: Well, again, I welcome all of you here today in service and you have an outline that basically is just going to have a list of all the scriptures we're going to look at today. Please don't let that scare you. We're going to try to get through these quick. There's not a huge amount. There's only one or two or three together. Um, but I want to continue what I began last week on uh the nation of Israel and uh I want you to actually. I'm going to start off. There's a scripture there that I don't have. I'm going to start off in Genesis chapter 12. And if you want to turn there, that's where I would like to begin, actually. Uh, those of you that are joining us online, we want to thank you for being with us. And, um, you know, the things that have been transpiring over in the nation of Israel are, of course, nothing new to them. Uh, they've been recipients of. Uh, terrorists and they've been under slavery, they've been in the bullseye of the enemy for a long time. And yet God gave a promise, and this is what I want to begin with today, to a man named Abraham who he'd called out from his father's house. And if you read verses 1 and 2, it talks about that. But in verse 3, this is the key I want you to look at, and this is God speaking. God says, I will bless those who bless you. But God also says, the one who curses you, I will curse. In church, I wouldn't want that for the world. I don't want God to be my enemy. And in you, everybody say in Israel, in Abraham, all the families of the earth will be blessed. And I shared with you last week The nation is not named Abraham, the nation is named Israel, but Abraham had Isaac, and Isaac and Rebekah had two boys, twins, amen, and Jacob became the blessing through whom God continued the blessing. He had a brother named Esau, but Jacob wrestled one day with God, and after that wrestling match, God changed his name, and that name is the name that the nation is named after right now, Israel, because he said, you've striven with God and overcome. Today, I want to point out to you another unique fact, and I really want you to capture these things today about the Jewish people because it is absolutely unique. Their whole history, if you look at Scripture, was foretold in prophecy. Their entire entire history is found in Scripture in prophecy, and that is not true of any other nation. Yet the entire history of the Jewish people from Abraham onward is foretold in prophecy in the Bible. And what I'm going to do today is I'm going to give you 16 stages. Again, don't let that scare you. In the outworking of the prophecies which have been predicted concerning Israel. And as I walk through this, I want you to keep in mind the first three were given to Abraham. The first three of the 16, the prediction that they would be enslaved in Egypt for 400 years is number one. Number two is about their deliverance with wealth from Egypt. God told Abraham they're going to come out with many possessions, and they did. They had been slaves for 400 years, and in, the, in one night, in a period of literally 24 hours, they became wealthy. They went from slavery to prosperity overnight. That prophecy was fulfilled. The third prophecy he gave to Abraham was that their possession of the land of Canaan, which is where Israel is today, belongs to them. Now, that's huge. I want you to look at this in Genesis chapter 15, verses 13 through 18. It says, Then God said to Abram, Know for certain that your descendants will be strangers in a land that is not theirs, where they will be enslaved and oppressed for 400 years. Somebody say Egypt. Egypt. But I will also judge the nation whom they will serve, and afterward they will come out with many possessions. As for you, you shall go to your fathers in peace. You will be buried at a good old age, then in the fourth generation they will return here, for the wrongdoing of the Amorite is not yet complete. Now it came about when the sun had set, that it was very dark, and behold, a smoking oven and a flaming torch appeared, which passed between these pieces. And on that day, the Lord made a covenant with Abram, saying, To your descendants, mark this in your Bible, To your descendants I have given this land, from the river of Egypt, as far as the great river, the river Euphrates. And then we go on to Deuteronomy in other books. Number fourth prophecy is that they would turn to idolatry in the promised land and that was certainly predicted and absolutely fulfilled. In Deuteronomy chapter 31, look at verse 16, it says, the Lord said to Moses, behold, you are about to lie down with your fathers and this people will arise. Speaking of Israel, And they will play the prostitute with the foreign gods of the land into the midst of which they are going, and they will abandon me and break my covenant, which I have made with them. That's the fourth thing that they would do. And they did it. Number five is that God would establish a center of worship in Jerusalem. Look at Psalm 132, verses 13 through 14. For the Lord has chosen Zion. He has desired it as his dwelling place, this is my resting place forever. Here I will dwell, for I have desired it. Now, I really want you to grab this. I want you to notice here that uh, if you go back to verse 13, it says, the Lord has chosen Zion. Zion is another name for Jerusalem. Who chose it? Did Did the Israelites choose it? No, someone bigger than them. God said, I've chosen this place. This is mine. And I give it to them. He desired it as his dwelling place, it says. And he says, it's his resting place forever. If you want to know where the center of the world is, the Bible tells you the center of the world is Jerusalem. That's the way God sees it. And he says, it's my resting place for how long? forever. Do you know where the heaven is going to be? Do you know what the new Jerusalem is? Do you know where it's going to come? Out of heaven, on earth, right there. That's where it will be. And he said, here I will dwell, for I have desired it. Now, I've been to Israel. I've been to Hawaii. And if it was me, I would desire Hawaii. Because when I put the two together, there's no comparison. Israel's a desert. Israel's not the most beautiful place to go. But yet, God didn't say, I desire Hawaii. He didn't say, I desire Phoenix. He said, I desire Zion. So you see, God is truly, truly interested in the place called Israel. That's the fifth thing. Number six You'll find in Hosea chapter 9, verses 1 through 3, that the northern kingdom called Israel would be carried into captivity in Assyria. Now, when King David was king, he had a son named Solomon. Solomon was a great king. Peace ruled in his day and hour. But when he died, he had a son named Rehoboam, and Rehoboam listened to foolish men, and he did not receive wise counsel, and because he did not follow wise counsel, the kingdom was divided between the north and the south. The south was called Judah. The north was called Israel. And there was a prediction, there was a a prophecy to the northern kingdom that they would be carried into captivity in Assyria. Listen to it in Hosea 9, verses 1 through 3. Do not rejoice, Israel, with jubilation like the nations, for you have been unfaithful abandoning your God. Now, I want to stop there for just a minute and say this. God is not always pleased with Israel. God is not always pleased with Israel. Right now, they still are away from Him. We're right now surrounded by the largest Jewish population in the entire state, but many of them, they don't know Jesus. They don't know that Jesus is their Messiah. And he says, you have been unfaithful, abandoning your God. You have loved the earnings of unfaithfulness on every threshing floor. Threshing floor and wine press will not feed them, and the new wine will fail them. They will not remain in the Lord's land. In other words, he prophesied, you're not going to stay in the promised land because you have been unfaithful to me. Now watch this, they will not remain in the Lord's land, but Ephraim will return to Egypt And in Assyria, they will eat unclean food. And church, that Assyrian occupation, they went into Assyrian captivity in 722 B.C., and it was prophesied way longer before that. When the Assyrians invaded the northern kingdom, and the Assyrians today say, well, who were the Assyrians? Well, today, they would be the nations that comprise Syria, Iran, Iraq, and Turkey. Does that sound like any of the enemies of of Israel? They're the ancient Assyrians. That's who they are today. Number seven, there was a prophecy that the southern kingdom called Judah would be carried into captivity in Babylon. Does anybody ever hear about Nebuchadnezzar? Anybody read about Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego? In Jeremiah chapter 25, verses 8 through 11, this was prophesied which says, Therefore, this is what the Lord of armies says, because you have not obeyed my words. Behold, I will send and take all the families of the north, declares the Lord, and I will send to Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, my servant, and I will bring them against this land and against its inhabitants and against all these surrounding nations, and I will completely destroy them and make them an object of horror and hissing and an everlasting place of ruins. Moreover, I will eliminate from them the voice of jubilation and the voice of joy, the voice of the groom and the voice of the bride, the sound of the millstones and the light of the lamp. The entire land will be a place of ruins and an object of horror, and these nations will serve the king of Babylon for 70 years. And guess what? It was fulfilled in 598 B.C. Number eight, there was a prophecy that the first temple would be destroyed, and this was the one built by Solomon. That was predicted in detail in this passage of Jeremiah 26, 4 through 6. Are you getting anything out of this? He says, And you shall say to them, this is what the Lord says, If you do not listen to me to walk in my law, which I have set before you, to listen to the words of my servants, the prophets, whom I have been sending to you again and again, but you have not listened, then I will make this house, I will make this temple, like Shiloh. And I'll make this city a curse to all the nations of the earth. And if you wonder how the leaders received these words, I'll just say this. When Jeremiah finished saying these words, if you read, and you keep reading in Jeremiah chapter 26, and you read verse 7, you read verse 8, and you can continue to read on, this is what you will hear. You will say this. You will find that they said, this man needs to die. They wanted to kill Jeremiah and said, you must die for saying these words. That was the Israel people. And guess what? It was fulfilled. The temple did get destroyed. Number nine, the return of a small remnant from Babylon was predicted. That came to pass under The Persian king, right after they're, they, they're still, they've been taken into Babylonian captivity, the Babylonians were in charge, and then Daniel was given a prophecy about who was going to follow. The Medes and the Persians were going to come and defeat Babylon. Are, then after that, there was going to be another nation that would arise. But the Medes first came, then the Persians came, and there was a Persian king named Cyrus, and he stated that the captives of Israel could return home to Jerusalem. And when you open up your Bibles in the Old Testament and you read the book of Ezra, you'll find it fulfilled. Because Ezra chapter 1, verses 1 and 2 says that Cyrus said, you can now go back to Jerusalem and build your temple. Number 10, there was a prophecy of the destruction of the second temple that they rebuilt, the one that stood in the day of Jesus himself. In church, Jesus himself is the one who prophesied this. He said this in Matthew 24, 1 and 2, Jesus left the temple area, and he was going on his way when his disciples came up to point out the temple buildings to him. But he responded, and he said to them, do you, see, do you not see all these things. Truly, I say to you, not one stone here will be left upon another which will not be torn down. And it's interesting. If you go to Jerusalem today and you take a tour of the temple area, you will have Jewish guides that will lead you around the temple area, and they will show you stones that are just standing on their own. And they are. They're just standing on their own. And they'll say, you see... It was predicted that every stone would be thrown down. Not one stone would be left standing upon another. And that happened around 70-some A.D. when the temple was destroyed. And it's never been rebuilt. And now all that's left is the wall that surrounds it. Those Jewish guides believe a lot more about the Bible than some Christian preachers. Number 11, it was predicted in in Leviticus chapter 26 and elsewhere that because of disobedience, they would be scattered. How many of you remember this? They'd be scattered among the nations. And guess what? They went into the Gentile lands, and they fulfilled it. Number 12, it was prophesied that they would endure persecution and oppression among the Gentiles. That certainly has been fulfilled. Hitler saw to that. Number 13, it was prophesied that they would come back from all nations, and I really want you to grab a hold of this one. Ezekiel 36 and verse 24 says this, for I will take you from the nations, and I will gather you from all the lands, and I will bring you into your own land. That began after World War II. That began after the Holocaust, and Israel became a nation once again in May of 1948. And the Jews began to come. They came from Russia. They came from Germany. They came from America. They came from all over the world. And they're there now. And you know what? They're still coming. They're still coming. So 13 that I just gave you All 13 of those prophecies have been fulfilled. There remain three that have yet to be fulfilled. Number 14 is there would be the gathering of all nations against Jerusalem in war. Number 15, it is prophesied that there will be a supernatural revelation of the Messiah to His people. And number 16, that there will be the coming of the Messiah, Jesus Christ, in glory from heaven with power to establish His kingdom on earth. We call it the second coming. Those three have not yet been fulfilled, so 13 out of 16 prophecies, 13 have come to pass And they have been fulfilled. That is 81 and a quarter percent already have been fulfilled. And they have been fulfilled with amazing accuracy. Now, I would say I don't think we would be crazy, I don't think we would be fanatical if we choose to believe that the remaining three prophecies will also be fulfilled. People seem to look at you strangely if you believe some of those strange things. But to me, it's even logical to believe that if a book predicts 13 events in advance with absolute correctness and pinpoint accuracy, any other prediction that that book gives should be taken very seriously. And that's just looking at it logically. That's just looking at it mathematically. Now, I want to come to possibly the most controversial topic in contemporary politics, which is God's plan for the land of Israel, mistakenly called Palestine. Every time I hear the word, I cringe. Every time anyone calls the land of Israel Palestine, I cringe. You say, Pastor, why would you cringe on that? I want to point out to you, that is totally contrary to, That's a totally contrary name to biblical truth. To call the nation of Israel Palestine, it's not even biblical. Because if you look up the word Palestine, do you know what you're going to come across? Google it. You could Google it right now if you want. But it literally means, Palestine means land of the Philistines. who was in the land when Israel came into the land who did they battle what was goliath who was he oh yeah he was a giant of what nation the philistines philistines have been their enemies since the beginning and they believe that's their land but church that was god god promised that to abraham long before they were there And God said, it's my land. I chose the land. In fact, how many of you know God owns it all? The Bible says, I own all the cattle on a thousand hills. And you know what? All the gold, you think it's yours? Uh Uh-uh, it's mine. I put it there. I know where it's at. The diamonds, the rubies, the emeralds, the silver, the bronze, the iron, all of that. God made it. In fact, our life is not even our own. We've been bought with a price. Every breath you breathe is a gift of God. In fact, yesterday I woke up and I said, Lord, thank you for the gift of life. I can breathe today. I'm healthy. I can walk. I can talk. I can hear. I can smell. I can taste. I can touch. And the word Palestine, meaning the land of the Philistines, is never used in scripture it was never used church listen to me until historically until the romans conquered it and destroyed the temple and then they used the name palestine to assert that the jews no longer had any claim to it folks it was a deliberately chosen i'm going to just say it anti-semitic word to hear the land of Israel called Palestine, if we use it, it needs to go out of our vocabulary as a believer in Jesus. Now, I want to say this. This is what God has to say about it, and I think He's the higher authority here. Look at Genesis 17, verses 7 and 8. God appears to Abraham, He makes a covenant with him, totally sovereign. I mean, Abraham had nothing to do with this, so technically the Jews have nothing to do with this. Israel has nothing to do with this. This is God's thought, and he makes this covenant with him, totally sovereign. God just decides what he's going to do, and he He, he chooses Abraham, and he says this in verses 7 and 8, I will establish my covenant between me, now listen to this, and you, and who else? Your descendants after you throughout their generations for a everlasting covenant. Do you see a date of expiration? No. It's an everlasting covenant to be God to you and to your descendants after you. God wants to be Israel's God. Today, He's not. Do you know that when the tribulation happens, do you know what the Bible calls it? We call it the time of tribulation. The Bible calls it the time of Jacob's trouble. Who's Jacob? Well, he's the one that got changed his name to Israel. Why is the tribulation going to happen? To get Israel back to God. Do you know where it's going to primarily occur, most all of the things we read about, that's going to happen in the tribulation, although it will be felt Worldwide, it's mainly happening there. Do you know where the Antichrist is going to come and de- defile the temple? Do you know where that's going to happen? In Jerusalem. Do you know where God's going to send his two prophets that are right now in heaven as men who have never died? Do you know who they are? There are two men, two lamps. Elijah went up into a whirlwind with the chariot of fire. Do you know what? He's still in heaven and he's never died. There's one more guy up there. Do you remember him? He also starts with E. Enoch. Enoch walked with God and was not, for God took him. Enoch and Elijah are the two witnesses spoken of in Zechariah, prophesied they will come back down. And guess what? After three and a half years, they'll ultimately die. They'll be killed but they'll also, their bodies, they won't, even, they won't even bury them. This is all in Scripture. They won't even bury them. And the Bible says that the world will see them. The whole world will see them. And I remember as a little boy, I used to read that and like, how can, how can the whole world see them? I mean, maybe, maybe television? Church, now all you got to do is pull your phone out and you can see a street wherever you want to see it. And their bodies are going to be laying on the ground. And you know what's going to happen? Those bodies are going to resurrect after a couple days, after so many days, and they're going to go back to God. Because this is what the Bible says, flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God. And those are the only two guys in heaven who have not yet died, but they will. Now, if you want to know more about that, uh, we, we just need to have another prophecy series um, So he's going to establish it as an everlasting possession. So there is no dispute. I just want to say this, that there is no dispute to whom the land belongs to. It makes no difference what anyone else says about it. It doesn't matter what the PLO said. It doesn't matter what Hamas says. It doesn't matter what Iran says. It doesn't matter what China thinks. It doesn't matter what Russia thinks. It doesn't matter what Britain thinks. It doesn't matter even what the United States thinks. God has given it to them as an everlasting possession. And then there is a remarkable passage. Pardon me as I get a little bit excited about this. Psalm 105, one of the most remarkable passages, I think, in the Bible. There is a statement about God's plan for a land, and in it are used more words describing God's total commitment than any other passage in the Bible I know of. Are you ready for this? Four verses. Psalm 105, verses 7 through 10, He is the Lord our God. His judgments are in all the earth, and I want you to mark these. He has remembered His covenant forever, covenant, the Word, Word, which He commanded to a thousand generations, the covenant which He made with Abraham and His oath to Isaac. Then He confirmed it to Jacob as a Statute to Israel as an everlasting covenant. Did you catch that? In those verses, God uses more words to describe His total commitment to something than anywhere else in the Bible. You cannot find another passage in the Bible. Let me just list these words again. Covenant, word, how many of you know have heard this saying, my word is my bond. It's God's word. God never, ever goes back on his word. It's being commanded. It is my oath. It is a statute. It is an everlasting covenant. Not just a covenant, but he's wanting to put the, the exclamation on the end. It's everlasting. This forever. Now, the interesting thing is, to what is God making such a total, authoritative, unreserved covenant? Commitment. Well, you got to go to verse 11. And it nearly takes your breath away when you discover what it's saying. Verse 11 saying to you, I will give the land of Canaan as the portion of your, mark this word, inheritance. Now, I want to talk about that for just a minute. Your inheritance. What if you have a loved one, they pass away, they have a million dollars. And it's your inheritance. It's yours. Belongs to you. God said this land is your inheritance. And someone comes in and says, That belongs to me. I'm gonna take that. And they give you ten dollars. Your father gave you a million. Your mother willed to you a million. Now I'm going to take all those words again one more time. So all those words, covenant, word, command, oath, statute, everlasting covenant, now inheritance. And they're all applied to God's giving all the land of Canaan to his people Israel. And listen, anyone who goes against that is going against God. That, I'll just put it this way, that's the biblical lens. That's the way God sees this. And that's the problem our leaders don't understand. That's the problem governments don't understand. That's the problem... uh, Nations don't understand. So the question I would have to you is how would you feel if someone came in and stole your inheritance? God calls it the Jews' inheritance. Now watch this in Jeremiah chapter 30. We're almost there. Look at verse 3. We have the prophecy, another one out of countless passages predicting the return of the Jewish people to their inheritance in the last days. The book says this in verse 3. For behold, days are coming, declares the Lord When I will restore the fortunes of my people, Israel and Judah, the Lord says, I will also bring them back to the land that I gave to their forefathers, and they shall take possession of it. You know, anyone with just a little moderate knowledge of Bible knows what the land uh, that God gave Abraham was. It's called the land of Canaan, The, the land of Israel, the land we now call today, we call it the Holy Land. Amen? God says, when the time comes, I am going to bring back the descendants of Israel and Judah from their captivity to the land that I gave to their fathers. Now watch this in Joel, and we're just about done. Joel chapter 3, verses 1 and 2 says, For behold, in those days and at that time, when I restore the fortunes of Judah and Jerusalem, I will gather all the nations... And I will bring them down to the valley of Jehoshaphat. Have you ever heard of that? Then I will enter into judgment with them there on behalf of my people and my inheritance, Israel. Listen to this. Whom they scattered among the nations. And here's the last part. And they have divided up my land. God's land. Before it was Israel's land, it was God's land. God gave it to Israel. So, what is the modern modern political word for dividing up land? Partition. That's right. So, God is going to judge the nations that have partitioned his land. top of the list is Britain. You say, whoa, wait, pastor, Britain? I want to walk you through history before I close. At the end of World War I, the League of Nations gave Britain a mandate to administer the Holy Land, God's land. And their specific mandate was to create a national home for the Jewish people. That was about 1919. This is just history. Well, in 1922, and God bless him, I don't want to speak negative of anybody, but Winston Churchill was then home secretary, and with one stroke of the British pen, created an Arab nation, which was called Transjordan. It's now called Jordan. Anybody familiar with that nation? By which was called, uh, by which he then, he assigned approximately, listen to this, 75% of the total area that was allotted to Israel. He gave to them. And in that land of Jordan, no Jews were permitted to live. Whereas in the land assigned to Israel, listen to this, every Arab is perfectly free to live there if he wants. But no Jew could live in Jordan. All I'm doing is giving you history. So here is the Jewish people ending up with only 25% approximately of what was supposed to be assigned to them. Then, after World War II in the United Nations, they voted to again partition... And they took approximately 12%, I mean a further 12%, and gave it to Israel. Instead of getting 100%, they got 12%. And guess who was responsible again? Britain. Now, after that, as you know, the United Nations, they voted to give Israel a state of their own, a nation of their own. Now, the British did not openly defy the United Nations, but they decided they're going to play the game their own way. And they did everything short of open conflict to frustrate the creation of the state of Israel. And they ridiculed the idea of the Jews ever having a state of their own. And this is what they said. These Jews know nothing about farming. All they know about is making money. That was their comment. And what was the result? I don't know about you, this is very important to me as I read history. First of all, the state of Israel came into being. Number two, the British Empire fell apart. It used to be said the sun never set on the British Empire. Not true today. It fell apart. And the reason why it fell apart is because they went against God's purposes for Israel. I have no doubt in my mind. And woe to any nation. And woe to any government that goes against God's purposes for Israel. And this is just a point that I just just read this week as I was studying and doing my research. It It was just an interesting discovery. Again, I'm not here to disparage anyone. But I read that Queen Elizabeth II, who just passed away this last year, She visited more than 120 nations, over a million miles, during her 70-year reign. but She never visited Israel. And I was like, really? No. Family members have. In fact, I'll say this. Prince William, he appears to me as someone who has a heart for them. King Charles, her son, yeah, he's been there. They've made personal appearances at Yad Vashem, the memorial of the Holocaust. But I'm just saying, it's interesting. I never knew that. Now, one final fact about this situation, what's very, very critical, and I'm going to close, is what the real issue is behind all of what we're seeing. Do you know that approximately half the resolutions, this is an interesting point, half the resolutions of the United Nations have been about Israel? Over half of the resolutions in the United Nations is about Israel. Now, it's interesting. If you will look at voting records, you will find that there's been one nation that seems to always vote with Israel. Guess who they are? United States. And I'll tell you what, we better stay that way. But why is it that that many resolutions are about Israel? There must be a reason. Why is it that every time you open up your newspaper, you turn on your television, there's something about this little strip of territory that contains maybe around six million people that has a landmass approximate to the size of the state of New Jersey? A drop in a bucket in the world. What is the reason for the pressure? Why, why the opposition? Why the conflict? I'm going to tell you why. Jesus says this in Matthew 23. Look at this, and I close. Verses 37 through 39. Now, this is the farewell message that Jesus gives to Jerusalem. It's very sad. It really is very tragic. It's a very tragic farewell, and He says, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, who kills the prophets and stones those who've been sent to her. How often I wanted to gather your children together the way a hen gathers her chicks under her wings. And you were unwilling. Another translation says, but you would not. Behold, your house is being left to you desolate. And when he says, your house, it means the temple, because they called it hadiot, the house. And true enough, within a generation, it was totally desolate. And then he goes on to the last verse, and he says... For I say to you, from now on, you will not see me until you say, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Now, that's plural, you, Israel. It's not Jerusalem, it's the Jewish people. You will not see me again until you Jewish people will say, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Now, what do you think Satan, the god of this age, fears most? Jesus. The one thing he is most upset about is he knows Jesus is coming back. You say, Pastor, how do you know that? Because when Jesus went over to the land of Gadara, and there was a man there that had demons in him, legion of demons, they said, have you, what, have you come to torment us before the time? The demons know there's a day of reckoning coming. The devil knows he's going to bow at Jesus' feet. So the return of Jesus, but until Jesus comes back, the devil may lose a lot of battles, but he's never going to lose his war. He may lose a, a lot of souls, but he's still going to be the God of this age, and that's not going to change until Jesus returns in person. So what does the devil fear most? The return of Christ. What does he oppose the most? The setting up of the situation which will prepare the way for Jesus to return. The Jewish people to have to be in Jerusalem as their city, and they have to be occupied behind the land before Jesus comes back. That began in 1948, church. Are you still with me? I just have one more paragraph. So you see, this is what's behind all the fuss that you're seeing in the world. They don't know it. Our government doesn't know it. There may be some in it that know it. Pastors should know it. How many of you know the church is supposed to lead? How many of you know the church should be the voice of God to the world? How many of you know the church should instruct leaders? How many of you know that in the nation of the United States... Preachers in the pulpit were important. Satan's doing everything he can to prevent the setting up of that scenario to bring back the Lord. And there is where all the nations are involved because he is going to gather the nations, the Bible says, and he's going to judge them on the basis of how they responded to his claim for the land of Israel. Read Matthew 25. They're sheep nations. There's goat nations. Isn't, this, isn't it amazing? Is this amazing that you've, what you've heard today? Do you know what this ought to do to every one of us? It should cause us, it, it, it should give us pause. It should just cause us to go, wait, hit the pause. I need to, I, I need to listen to the Lord. Because the way I handle God's people has everlasting consequences. How many of you want to be blessed? The only way to be blessed is God said, all the people of the earth, they're going to be blessed through you, Abraham. It's because of the Jewish people. That we have salvation. Please join with me as we stand right now. Did you learn anything? Father, I pray right now as we absorb this, as we receive this, as we reflect on it, as we go about our week that our words will be in line with you that you'd bring our thoughts into alignment with your biblical viewpoint and lord i pray for the nation of israel i pray for their salvation i pray for th- that you would truly reveal yourself as god to them that they would not know you just as the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, but, Lord Jesus, that they would see that you're the king of kings, that you're the lion of the tribe of Judah, that you're the son of David, that you're the prince of peace. You're the very thing they seek. I pray, Lord, your protection would continue to be over them, that you set Michael, your archangel, over them, that you would send forth the armies of heaven, You're called the God of armies. Be with them, Lord, in your angelic armies. Watch over them, I pray. Direct them to you, Lord. And Father, I pray you would keep us as a nation in tune with you and that we would continue to bless them. As we go our way today, Lord, go before us so that we may be your light in this world, we pray. And all in agreement just said a big amen. God bless you. I love you guys. Have a great week. And uh, we'll see you when we return. God bless.